Uh, hey, good morning. How are you guys today? Good to see you. I am ready for soup. My gosh. Um, I want to take you through something today. Since the beginning of October, we've been looking at this pattern for prayer that Jesus gave us that we've come to call the Lord's Prayer. Um, but what I want to do today is I want to show you something about how it ends or terminates. And what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to pull out a Bible and follow along. Now, this won't work digitally. You can't do this on your phone. You're going to actually need a hard copy. And what I want to invite you to do is open up to Matthew chapter 6. Now, as you're getting there, have you ever noticed, like, like when you have something memorized, no matter what you read or see differently, it always gets filtered into your memory pattern. You know what I'm talking about on that? This is going to be really awkward and weird, but what I want to do is I want to say the Lord's Prayer together. But I want to say it together as it's printed in Matthew, not as you have it memorized. Does that make sense? So if you're looking at Matthew 6, it's right about verse 9. You'll see kind of this poetically indented section and, and here's this line where Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Read with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Period. Where's the rest? Now, at the end of Evil One, do you see a little footnote there? This is something your phone isn't going to give you on your digital copy. And did you follow that footnote to the bottom? Mine's a little letter D. I don't know what yours might be. It doesn't matter. Follow your footnote, and you're going to have something that says something like this. Or from evil. Some later manuscripts, one, meaning deliver us from the evil one. Four, there's the end. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Doesn't that just like kind of feel good to say? It's like, does anyone ever do that? Dun, da, da, dun, dun, and then like walked away. <laughs> you, you know? What's going on here? Where is this coming from? Now, throughout the, the, these past several weeks, we've been talking about when Jesus gave this prayer, he wasn't giving a mantra to say. He wasn't giving some kind of incantation or spell or magic words like just kind of repeat these words endlessly, but instead was giving a, a worldview. He was giving headers, conceptual fields of reference, ideas that he wants us to think out of and pray from and approach God within. But at the very end, it says, in some later manuscripts, there was this little ending tagged on to what Jesus probably never said to begin with. This little ending for yours, or if you have to do it to sleep at night, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. What I want to do today is just kind of talk a little bit about where this comes from and why it's there if Jesus didn't actually say it. And to kind of do this, what I've got to introduce you to is, is a field of study called text criticism or the comparing of different texts. Now, you see that Gospel of Matthew, that, that page from Matthew you have in front of you. 
What's important to remember is that when we talk about the Bible, we do not have the original copy of Matthew or any other book of the Bible, as far as we know, like behind glass somewhere sitting in some museum. What we have are copies, and oftentimes even more so, copies of copies of copies. And there are literally like thousands of these, in whole or in part, in little tidbit pieces or in full manuscript form from the very early centuries um, A.D. of the Bible. But occasionally what happens is those copies will have discrepancies with one another. Now what I want to show you today is two copies of that page you're looking at or we're looking at from Matthew chapter 6. Now the one on the left that you're looking at is called Codex Sinaiticus. Can you give me a codex? Yeah, don't make you give you the second one, right? Codex is a word that just means like ancient book. So if you ever come across the word codex, it means, you know, it was an ancient book. Christians actually were probably responsible for inventing the book. Before them, it was scrolls. They took advantage of a new technology and bam, book. That's why the Bible is called just, well, the book, right? Codex Sinaiticus, meaning an ancient book found at, well, you hear Sinai in there, right? It was found at this monastery in Sinai, and that's where it gets its name. Now, the one that you're seeing on the right is called Codex Washingtonensis, all right? Give me a Washingtonensis. That was so satisfying for me. Thank you, right? You hear Washington in there, right? Well, because it was found in Washington, right? No, that's ridiculous. It's because this actual copy is sitting in the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. And we know how things work in the States. It's all about naming rights, right? Wherever this was found, I don't know. But the people of the Smithsonian said, well, it's in Washington now. You know what this is called now? Codex Washington Ensis, right? It's like Willis Tower or whatever the heck they're calling Comiskey these days. Now, the one that you're looking at on the left, Codex Sinaiticus, in technical jargon within the field of study is called decrepitly old, Okay. The one that you're looking at on the right, Codex Washingtonensis, in the field of study with technical jargon is often called brand spanking new. All right? Now, what do I mean by decrepitly old and brand spanking new? Codex Sinaiticus, decrepitly old, probably dates to the 300s sometime, somewhere in the early to mid-4th century. While the one that you're looking at on the right, Codex Washingtonensis, probably dates to the late 300s or early 400s, sometime around the late 4th or early 5th century. And I know what you're thinking. You're looking at these going, well, the one on the right looks older than the one on the left. Well, I don't know what to tell you. I've met 40-year-olds who look like they're 60. Um... (laughs) Spend your youth smoking and drinking and you're going to look like the right too, all right? I mean, you want me to tell you. But what you're looking at is two copies 
of the same text you just read, the Lord's Prayer, plus the stuff around it. Matthew chapter 6. And I highlighted the specific section here. And it's kind of hard to make out, but do you see like all this red underline there? In Greek, the language in which the New Testament was written, that is the Lord's Prayer. But in blue is that extra little line, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me give you a close-up. You're going to learn to read a little Greek today. And you follow along with me. Now remember that this line is not in Codex Sinaiticus, decrepitly old, but this extra line is in Codex Washingtonensis, or keyed as WO32 in the literature. Um, so be it. Now do you see those like four triangles right there? Okay, for those of you who are like in a frat, alpha, lambda, lambda, alpha. All right? It's pronounced Allah. It's how you say but. Not like your rear end, like, like you know, instead of B-U-T, not two T's. Um, it's how you say but. But, resai, deliver, hemas, us, from the paneru, evil one but deliver us from the evil one. And then you have this like E-A-N. And this is where if you were looking in your Bible, Jesus went on to say right after that, and if you forgive your brother his sins, your heavenly father will forgive you. The, the kingdom power glory thing is missing, right? Now, now follow along. You can follow this. You can follow this. You see Paneru, the evil one? You see Paneru? The evil one? You see the if part where Jesus jumps ahead? You see the if part where Jesus jumps ahead? Do you see all that in the middle? Only appearing in the newer texts. Now I know what you're thinking. Doesn't newer mean better? Often does for us, right? I mean, really, who here wants to like trade in for a Commodore 64 or an 82 Chevy Citation, right? We, we are a culture that's drunk on new, for which newer means better. But in the field of studying ancient documents in texts, older often means better, because older means closer to the time it was actually written and therefore less susceptible to corruption or addition or change. We've all played the telephone game along the way. Are you with me? And what's fascinating is that the oldest documents of the Lord's Prayer go like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, our sins, or trespasses, or whatever word you want to use, as we forgive those who do the same to us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's get on the day. But it was later that who knows why, some scribe added it in. Now, it's fascinating that you can see other ancient documents dating actually all the way back to the end of the first century, where you see the people of God gathering, using the Lord's Prayer in worship, and adding that section on to the end for their worship life. Just kind of like we write songs, right? 
write songs based on the Bible and sing them together. It's kind of a way to bring it together. Who knows? Maybe they were taking the Lord's Prayer and they were saying it together, singing it together, chanting it together, and it just kind of like they wanted to bring it together in some kind of way. Well, Ten Buck says some scribe in the 5th century who memorized the Lord's Prayer, knew it by heart, is looking at the ancient text going, wait, they forgot a part in there, I know how this goes. Because don't we all have the propensity to go by what we think we know rather than what God actually has to say? And it goes up and ends up penning it in there. And that's how it got into the prayer for today. Now, I need to back up for a moment. Because even though Jesus didn't say it, it doesn't make it wrong. I mean, uh, please, to God be the kingdom and the power and the glory. The gospels are filled. Jesus' language is filled with the idea of him bringing this kingdom of God and to him in God alone being the glory and the power that is finally breaking into a dark and defeated universe. There can be nothing more true than these words, even if they weren't spoken by Jesus directly. And I think that should inform us on how we worship and sing and pray too. That God invites us into something more than just parroting the words from of old, but taking those words from of old to inform us and guide us into fresh expressions and new vocalization of things that even if not original are nonetheless true. Isn't this what prayer happens to be. Isn't this what Jesus has been doing in the Lord's Prayer all along? Take this line, our Father in heaven, and run wild with it. Set it loose. Pray it from your soul and all that it implies and entails for yours, God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Because when those early believers gathered, and they took these, these words of Jesus, this template for how to pray. They wanted it to do something more than just inform the way that they individually thought about God. It was supposed to do something more than just fuel their thinking. They wanted to use it in some kind of way to bring them together collectively communally. How can we take these words of Jesus and make them something that's centered to all of us and centered to what all of us have to say? And so, from the earliest days of the church, they added this mantra, this proclamation, this, this shout of defiance and hope, for yours, God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. I found in a dark and destroyed universe, there can be nothing sweeter to say than those words. God, the kingdoms of the world rage, but to yours be the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Let it be so. Now, when the early church took these words, 
They took him from the teachings of Jesus. But they took him from another great song of old that you can find in the Bible as well. You're going to need your Bibles for this one too, and you're going to need a hard copy. Digital won't work. And I'd like you to open to the book of Revelation. Anywhere. Last book in the Bible. Something is going to begin to happen around chapter 4, but laces from chapter 4 all the way to nearly the end of chapter 19 and 20. As you're looking at the hard copy pages, are you noticing how there, like the Lord's Prayer, are certain indented sections? There are certain poetically set off sections from the rest. You seeing that? What you're seeing here is an ancient song. An ancient song, much like, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory that ancient believers sang. That's laced throughout this vision John, who wrote this thing, had expressing the people's yearning and hunger and desire for God's kingdom and glory and power to be realized. They took this ancient song to inform how they would sing. They took this ancient song to inform how they would think. They took this ancient song as something of hope, as something to stand on, as something to guide them in life towards the goal God had set. Because for the ancient believers, it wasn't just enough to know the text. They wanted to live it. They didn't just want to memorize the words and know the words. They wanted it to move them, to shape what they looked like together as they gathered and as they went out into the world in which they lived. It was Jesus' goal for the Lord's Prayer all along, and honestly, guys, it's the goal for the Bible. That the words are here just the words are here not just to pass some kind of test or to show your knowledge or to answer the questions, but to shape you, to guide you and to move you in the way you not only think, but in the way that you live, sing, and pray, and carry on your life with a God who loves you. So in the spirit of this, what we're going to be doing today is participating with what these ancient believers did long ago. And that means coming together to actually make these words our words, and, and hopefully by saying them together, singing them together, praying them together, wrestling with them together. It informs our hope. In our way of living, too, we're going to take these great words, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, as they are stretched out through the song of Revelation and do that song today. It's Revelation Song Day. Letting this hymn be our time of worship together. And as we go through this, 
There'll be times when we sing, times when we just listen and soak, times when we confess, times when we commune, times when we, 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 we shout it out loud, times when we let God challenge us in the midst of it. Whether you just want to be in the moment, whether you want to follow along in this letter, that's up to you. But my prayer for you is that Jesus prayer and this great song which inspired the addendum to that prayer does something in you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, and people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? And I answered, Sir, you know And he said, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe 
every tear from their eyes. This great song of revelation begins with John standing before the throne room of heaven, seeing the kingdom, the power, and the glory of the Lamb. But the song does not end there. He is brought back to earth, to our reality, to the darkness and struggle and tribulation, as he puts it, that you and I and people for so long have faced. Let these next sections of John's song wash over you. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for the judging of the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. And he says, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. And later, the song continues with John saying, he who has an ear, let him hear. He who has an ear, let him hear. It's Jesus' words of saying, listen. Open your ears. Don't miss what I'm about to say. And the song continues, if anyone is to go into captivity, and the captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. 
Can I put it this way? If anyone is to face hardship or suffering or trial or temptation, you will face it. And this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Endurance and patience. Knowing that God's is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, but we wait, don't we? We wait. Trying to be patient. Trying to endure, trying to be faithful. When John sees his vision, he sees not just the angelic court, but by projection, all of us someday standing before that throne in heaven. That day when the kingdom, the power, and the glory shine. But maybe not today. As the believers of old did, I want to invite you right now into a time of just silence and, and reflection on that. Where have you been faithless? Or given up? Have grown impatient? Or before God have just walked away? The lamb has been slain, which means the throne of heaven remains open to you. Come to God in a place of repentance and seeking his forgiveness. Here, right now, in this time in space. Let's pray. encourage you, stay in that place of prayer right now. And just let these words of the great song wash over you. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire and standing beside the sea. Those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. 
Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. King of the ages, who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed. You are just in these judgments. You who are and who were the Holy One because you have so judged for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, True and just are your judgments. True and just are your judgments. The question is, do we believe that? I'd like to invite you to rise. And If those words resonate or convict, pray this with me today. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Worthy is the lamb who was slain, slain for you and for your forgiveness, slain for you and for your salvation, slain for you. Whether impatient or unfaithful, Know that he forgives you and that he reigns. To him be the glory and the power now and forever. On the night Jesus was to take his throne, he first took bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body broken, slain for you. And he took a cup after supper and he gave thanks and he gave it to them. And he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood poured out for you. For the forgiveness of all of your sins. Come, 
to my kingdom, before my throne, to my table, in remembrance of me. Welcome. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive all power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Slain for you. Slain for the world. The Lamb who reigns. This great song of Revelation ends with a vision of Christ returning, returning in, in kingdom and power and glory. And responsively, I'd like to invite you to pray it, to proclaim it with me. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. That's you. Now we're jiving. And again they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Amen, hallelujah, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Amen. 